What's going on, friends, family, and sports fans around the world? Welcome to the first official episode of the Hungry Sports Podcast. If you have a hunger, a desire, a craving, or a need for excellent sports content, then this is the podcast for you, ladies and gentlemen. You've landed in the right spot. My name is Avery Williams, and I'm your host. And uh, real quick, just some background information on this podcast. I'll be discussing a ton of different um, sports topics over all sports platforms. There'll be uh, interviews. I have a long list of, of special guests, people that I'll be interviewing. I don't want to spill the beans and tell you guys right now. You'll have to tune in to see. But there'll be special interviews. There'll be sports debates. Um, predictions, projections, mock drafts, uh, power rankings, pretty much anything you need, anything you're looking for sports related will be here. Um, this is a one-stop shop podcast. Uh, I'm not going to shortchange you, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to give you guys everything you need. I'm going to give you your appetizer. I'm going to give you your entree, and I'm going to finish it off with your dessert and make sure that once you finish listening to the Hungry Sports Podcast, your sports hunger will be fulfilled. Um, I'll be dropping new episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, so please, please, please feel free to tune in, and I promise you guys, you will not be disappointed. Um, This is the first official episode, so thank everyone who decided to tune in. Um, I really, really appreciate the love and support, and, you know, we're making history. We're going up. You know, this is the first of many episodes, so thank you guys, but uh, yeah, without further ado, let's get started. So this podcast, it'll be broken up into three different segments. We have our appetizer segment, we have our entree segment, and we have our dessert segment. And that's keeping true to the Hungry Sports Podcast theme. But um, for the appetizer segment, that'll be basically where I'll recap all of the most prominent and exciting games um, in the previous days over all sports platforms. Uh, the entree section will be where I do my interviews. Uh, I have my discussions with my co-host. I'll have debates. Um you know, just everything uh, that you can think of will be in the, 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 the entree section. And then we'll transition to the dessert portion of the show, which is where I do my future predictions, projections, and a recap on where I was right and where I was wrong. So for the appetizer segment, this is the mozzarella sticks. This is the chicken strips. This is the chips and queso. Uh, I'm going to start off with the NFL and, um, my top three games from this previous week. I'm not going to go through uh, every game. I'm just going to touch on you know my personal top three or, or the top three games that I felt were was uh, the most interesting. It was the Dallas Cowboys versus the Minnesota Vikings, the Seattle Seahawks versus the San Francisco 49ers. You know the classic NFC West matchup, and the LA Rams versus the the Pittsburgh Steelers. And like I said, those were the three games that stood out to me uh, in my opinion. But Starting with the Dallas Cowboys versus the Minnesota Vikings, that was the Sunday night game. Uh, the Vikings won 28 to 24. Kirk Cousins played extremely well, in which he's been playing well, you know, over the last four or five weeks. You know, I know he struggled early in the season, but he's picked it up over the last four or five weeks, and you know, they seem to to, to really, really be a a, a serious threat, uh, uh, not only in the NFC uh, North versus Green Bay, but in the entire NFC. But Kirk Cousins played extremely well. Going 23 of 32 for 220 yards, two touchdowns. Obviously, 
Dalvin Cook had a field day. He currently leads the NFL in rushing, but he had 26 carries for 97 yards, one touchdown, and he also had seven receptions for 86 yards. So he was a huge part in their success versus the Cowboys. Uh, on the other sideline, Dak Prescott, he played well in a losing effort. You know, Dak was really, really impressive. And quite frankly, I think this probably was one of his best, if not his best performance in his career. I mean, he was sharp. He was on point. Uh, his touch, his accuracy was was great. And uh, it's unfortunate that he played so well in a losing effort. But, you know, he went 28 of 46 for 397 yards, three touchdowns, one interception. Uh, Ezekiel Elliott didn't really play well. Only 20 carries for 47 yards, uh, which is 2.4 yards per carry. And Amari Cooper had a big game, 11 receptions, 147 yards, uh, one touchdown. But the three points and the three things that specifically stood out to me regarding this game was, number one, Ezekiel Elliott just doesn't look like the same back. I mean, and, and, and I don't want everybody, you know, saying, oh, well, well, Avery, you're overreacting or, oh, it was only one game and, you know, he's still – a top five or top 10 in rushing and so on and so forth. Yes, that is true. But if you just look at the way Ezekiel Elliott is running, and if you look at the way he's playing, he's not playing at the same level that he was in his previous years, nor does he have that same burst and explosiveness. You know, he looks a step slow. He looks a little sluggish. He doesn't have that home run breaking ability. And if you want to know what I'm talking about, all you have to do is go back to his first or second year in the league, or you can go back to when he was in college at Ohio State. He's always been a big, strong, physical back that, 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 that gains yards and falls forward for extra yards, but he's always had that home run uh, ability as well. And this year, he, he just doesn't seem to have it. You know, I don't know if, if he's gained weight. I don't know if um, it's because, uh, uh, you know, running back position is very physical and, and the grind and the wear and tear. And we all know that running backs have a short shelf life. Uh, so maybe that's the case, but he just doesn't look the same. And especially – when you look across the other sideline and you see Dalvin Cook playing well and, you know, catching screen passes and running 30, 40 yards and, you know, hitting the holes and, you know, changing direction and, you know, his cuts and his agility, it's just on a whole nother level than Ezekiel Elliott right now. So uh, kind of concerned about that, you know, kind of concerned. He has been playing well and he is, uh, I think, 20 yards away from breaking a thousand yards. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, he has, I think, 980 rushing yards. So, you know, he's right at the thousand the yard mark. Uh, which will be three out of his first four years in the league going over a thousand yards. So, you know, he does deserve a, a hand clap, you know, for that. But, you know, realistically speaking, he doesn't seem like the same back. And like I said, it's a little concerning because the Cowboys just paid him 90 million. You know, they, they, they just re-signed him to that big monster deal. And, uh, you know, hopefully he can, uh, you know, regain, you know, what he once was. Uh, you know, a couple of years ago. But that was the one, one of the biggest takeaways for me, just the ineffectiveness of uh, uh, Ezekiel Elliott. The second point that stood out to me was how the Minnesota Vikings front offensively and defensively just dominated the Cowboys. I mean, they absolutely dominated the Cowboys on both sides of the ball up front. You know, the Vikings offensive line pushed the Cowboys defensive line back. They were opening up holes all day for, for, for Dalvin uh, Cook. Shoot, me or you probably – could have had a good chance to go for close to 100 yards uh, 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 on the Cowboys' defense. I mean, because th there, there were times where the hole was open and Dalvin Cook wouldn't get touched that he was four or five yards past the line of scrimmage. And, and, and it was just it, – it was surprising. It really, really was just the way that the Vikings' offensive line manhandled the Cowboys' defensive line. And it's crazy because all offseason – 
you know, all training camp, all preseason, you know, leading up into the season, the talk was how the defensive line was probably Dallas's deepest position. You know, you look at uh, Demarcus Lawrence, who just got paid $100 million. You look at uh, Robert Quinn, who they brought in. You look at Antoine Woods, Malik Collins, you know, so on and so forth. They had so much depth, and everybody was saying, oh, they can go 8-9 deep on the defensive line, and oh, they're so talented on the defensive line, yet they got steamrolled by the Vikings' offensive line. And quite frankly, that wasn't the first time they got steamrolled. That was not the first time. If you go back to the Green Bay Packers game, Aaron Jones had a field day on this Cowboys defense, and that was because the Packers' offensive line manhandled the Dallas Cowboys' defensive line. Point blank, period, no way around it. You know, and then on the other side of the ball, the Vikings, um, the, the Vikings' defensive line, they stifled the Cowboys' offensive line. You know, now I will give the the Cowboys offensive line credit because they did a good job of pass protecting for Dak Prescott. You know, that's why he was able to throw for close to 400 yards. And, you know, that's why Amari Cooper was was able to have 147 yards and a touchdown. And Randall Cobb had over 100 yards and a touchdown. Michael Gallup had around 60 or 70 yards and a touchdown. So they did a great job pass protecting for Dak. However, there was no running lanes, no running lanes at all. And um, if I remember correctly, it was, uh, you know, the last possession of the game for the Cowboys. First and 10, Dak threw a quick slant to Amari. He got seven yards. So it was second and three. And that's when they handed the ball off to Ezekiel Elliott. And on the replay, both Connor Williams, the starting left guard for the Cowboys, and Travis Frederick, the center for the Dallas Cowboys, they absolutely whiffed on blocks at the same exact time. So the defensive tackle and uh, the defensive end, basically shot in at the same exact time and hit Elliott in the backfield really right before uh, he even had a chance to move. And it was crazy. Like, how in the world could you get beat that bad that quick? You know, Elliott didn't even have a chance on that play to pick up any yardage because it seemed like as soon as Dak handed him the ball, he was getting hit. But that's just one example of how uh, the Vikings defensive line destroyed and just pushed around the Cowboys offensive line all night. And, um, yeah, that, that that definitely was disappointing, you know, especially when you look at the fact that Dallas is supposed to have the best offensive line in football, three pro bowlers, pro bowl running back. Uh, the fact that they were only able to get 47 rushing yards by Zeke was, was disappointing. And um, the last point that stood out to me, and I think this is probably the uh, biggest point, was uh, just, just, just Cowboys coaching. Cowboys coaching, it, it really concerns me. And, and, and it's been a concern of mine and it's been a disappointment of mine for a long time. You know, it just seems like the, the coaching staff never makes adjustments. They, 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 they never tweak anything. It's like they come into the game with a specific game plan. And regardless of if the game plan is working or not, they'll stick with it, stick with it, stick with it. And, and, and as a coach, it's your job to make adjustments on the fly. You know, I coach youth football and, and I'm not sitting here saying that I'm qualified to coach in the NFL because I'm not. But Obviously, when I go into a game, I have a game plan. Hey, I want to establish the run. Hey, I want to establish the pass. But based off of what the defense is doing, my game plan or my plan might not be conducive to what the defense is doing. So then you have to flip the page and you have to go to plan B. You can't continuously do the same thing over and over and over again and expect a different result. That's the definition of insanity. The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over and over again and expecting a different result. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. If you do the same thing over and over and over again, you're going to get the same result. You're not going to get a different result. And and it's just disappointing that 
you know, the Cowboys seem like they're the only team that that that, that doesn't make any in-game adjustments. Not only that, but I've heard on multiple occasions where defenders or where offensive players have come out and said, hey, we knew exactly what coverage they were going to be in. We knew exactly what they were going to do on third down. We knew exactly what they were going to do on this drive. And uh, it was just about us executing. Why is it that everybody knows what the Cowboys is doing, yet the Cowboys can't seem to figure out what another team is doing? So just the coaching. And, and, and I tip my cap to the Vikings uh, uh, coach, you know, Mike Zimmer. I don't want to make this a Dallas Cowboys segment, but I tip my cap to him. He had those guys ready. They saw weaknesses and holes in the Cowboys defense, and they exploited it. And, uh, you know, now the Vikings win, and, you know, they're, they're looking like a very, very good team and a threat in the, the uh, NFC. And on the flip side, you know, there's still a lot of questions uh, uh, left to be answered for the Dallas Cowboys. Okay, the next game that stood out to me was the L.A. Rams versus the Pittsburgh Steelers. And um, I think this was a game or a tell of two different teams that we thought were on two different paths. You know, when you look at the Pittsburgh Steelers, you know, obviously last year, the the whole Le'Veon Bell situation, um, you know, but he ended up signing with the Jets in the offseason. They traded Antonio Brown. Big Ben was a year older. Uh, and on top of that, they didn't even make the playoffs last year with Antonio Brown. So when you look at the outlook of of the Pittsburgh Steelers, they just didn't seem, at least to me, you know, you guys may think differently, but at least to me, in my opinion, on paper, based off of what I saw from them, they didn't look like a very good team. You know, they didn't look like a playoff team. Um, I have a couple of buddies of mine that are Pittsburgh Steelers fans, and they were saying, hey, if we could finish 8-8, eight and eight, if we could finish 500, then that will be a success. So that kind of tells you what the outlook of the Pittsburgh Steelers were. You know, and on the flip side, you had the L.A. Rams just coming off of a Super Bowl appearance, uh, obviously losing to the Patriots, but, you know, going out and making a couple of moves, bringing in Clay Matthews from the Packers, bringing in uh, Eric Weddle from the Ravens. They had a good draft. You know, it, it seemed like these teams were on different paths. You know, the Rams, they seemed like they still were, were the favorites or, or at least one of the favorites uh, in the NFC to go to the Super Bowl. On the flip side, you had the Pittsburgh Steelers, and they seemed like a team that would struggle to win eight games. You know, but like I said, this game is a tale of two teams going in two different directions because uh, my takeaways from this game was just how the the, the, the Pittsburgh Steelers have flipped the switch. And they look like a completely different team. And it's crazy because at the beginning of the season, they were 0-2. Ben Roethlisberger gets hurt. He's done for the season. At that particular point in time, I said, hey, it's over with for him. You're 0-2. You lost your franchise quarterback. Pack it in. Pack it in. Pack it in. Tank. And just focus on getting your quarterback of the future. You know, you have a great opportunity now to get uh, Tua Tagovailoa from Alabama, Justin Herbert from Oregon, Jake Fromm from uh, uh, Georgia, you got a great opportunity to get your franchise quarterback in there, let him sit behind Big Ben for a year or two, and then you're set for the future. But then just as soon as, as Big Ben gets hurt, I think it's the next week, they trade their first-round pick for Minka Fitzpatrick. And I'm scratching my head. I'm like, what What are you doing, Pittsburgh? You're most likely going to have a top five or top ten pick. You have an opportunity to get a young stud future quarterback and you trade it for safety. And it's nothing against Mika Fitzpatrick. I'm a big fan of his. And, and, and he's a great player as well. But I just didn't think Fitzpatrick would be able to, to turn that team from being a non-playoff team to a playoff team. But, and this is a big but, I was completely wrong. Because Fitzpatrick, I mean, with the way that he's played thus far, 
and, and I think since he's been in Pittsburgh, he has four interceptions and two defensive touchdowns, you would have to put him on the short list with a couple of other players for a, a defensive player of the year. He's right in the conversation with anybody else. He's taking this defense to another level, and, and they have one of the top five best defenses in the league. They're loaded on the defensive end, and it seems like Fitzpatrick has really pushed them over the top defensively. And quite frankly, I kind of look at this Pittsburgh Steelers team a little different now. You know, they have the recipe to be a successful team. Not saying I think that they'll, you know, go to the Super Bowl or anything, but when you have three things in the NFL, you can be successful. A, defense. They have a really, really, really good defense. B, they have a good running game. James Conner's a good running back. They have a good, solid offensive line. And number three, you have a quarterback that can make enough plays and that can hold on to the football. He's not throwing a bunch of interceptions. He's not making a ton of mistakes. Yes, he has, you know, every now and then because he's a young quarterback. But for the most part, he makes good decisions. He holds on to the ball and he can make a few plays here or there to help his team win. And that's all you need in the NFL to be successful. Defense, running attack and a quarterback that can make plays here or there. So. Um, you know, my biggest takeaway really from this game is just how the teams are going in two different directions. And speaking of the Rams, you know, like I said before, coming off of a Super Bowl season, you think this is the year that they could potentially get back to the Super Bowl and win it. Um, I think this is year three of the Sean McVay era. Um, you know, then they go out and trade, uh, you know, the, everything in the world for Jalen Ramsey, who, in my opinion, is the best corner in the league. And I do think he is worth uh, 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 the price of admission. He is worth everything. Um, the Rams gave up for them, but they're still struggling and they just don't don't seem to have it together. And uh, 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 it's concerning because you just paid Jared Goff all this money and he's struggling. Todd Gurley um, up until Dallas gave uh, Ezekiel Elliott the big contract, you know, right before the season started. He was the highest paid running back in the league. And we know he's dealing with, um, you know, uh, knee issues. And uh, overall, they just it seems like something is missing with that team. And and the bad part about it is, you know, it, it's going to be hard for them to get in the playoffs, period, because you have uh, uh, the 49ers at the top of their division at eight and one. You have the Seahawks number two in the division at eight and two. So the chances of them winning the division is slim to none because I don't see them being able to jump both of those teams. So now all of a sudden you're fighting for a wild card spot. And then you have Dallas and Philly in the NFC East. You know, the loser of that division is going to be fighting for a wild card spot. You have uh, uh, um, the, the Minnesota Vikings and the Green Bay Packers in the NFC North. Loser of that division is fighting for a wild card spot. You still have the Carolina Panthers, you know, in the NFC South fighting for a wild card spot. So, you know, it, it's going to be hard for them to get in. But, yeah, just uh, uh, just the, the, the simple fact that these two teams are on two different paths, it, it's, it's, really, uh, it, it's, it's really amazing because if you would have asked me a couple of weeks ago, I would say the teams are, are, are in, in different spots. You know, I think Pittsburgh would be in the Rams spot of struggling and not playing well in a team that's not going to make the playoffs. And I would think the Rams are in Pittsburgh's spot, a team that's playing well, found their rhythm, found their groove, uh, you know, but that's the beauty of the NFL. You know, it's a week-to-week -week league, and on any given Sunday, Monday, or Saturday, uh, uh, you can win. And another thing that I really enjoyed about the game was uh, <laughs> the matchup between uh, Jalen Ramsey and uh, Juju Smith-Schuster. And it's funny uh, because, you know, Jalen was, was talking about how Juju wasn't Antonio Brown. And Juju basically came out and said, hey, I know I'm not Antonio Brown. I'm Juju Smith-Schuster. And then uh, <laughs> they were asking him about the trash talk between him and Jalen Ramsey during the game. And he said, you know what, I'm 22 years old. And, 
you know, he said so many cuss words I had never even heard of before. So uh, uh, I thought that was pretty fun. But uh, 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 overall, man, it, it was a good game. And um, I'm very, very impressed by the Pittsburgh Steelers. Okay, uh, last but not least, the uh, final game that, um, you know, stood out to me uh, uh, this week out of my top three. And I think this was probably the game of the week for everybody. You know, the most exciting game of the week, the most intriguing game of the week, uh, the Monday night game, Seattle Seahawks and San Francisco 49ers. And, you know, obviously this was an NFC West battle, but uh, I think you could argue this was a battle between two of the best teams or arguably two of the best teams uh, in the entire NFC, you know, with uh, San Fran being the only undefeated team left at 8-0 and uh, with Seattle being uh, at 7-2. and But, you know, my overall takeaways from this game, obviously we know the uh, Seattle Seahawks won in overtime 27-24. Um, you know, Russell Wilson had a really, really good game, 24-34, 232 yards, one touchdown. Um, Chris Carson, 25 carries, 89 yards, one touchdown, and DK Metcalf, six catches for 70 yards. Uh, on the other sideline, uh, Jimmy Garoppolo for the 49ers, 24 of 46, 248 yards, one touchdown. Uh, Tevin Coleman had nine carries for 40 yards, and Debo Samuel, eight catches for 112 yards. Uh, my overall takeaway uh, regarding this game was, I mean, I think these two teams played, you know, a great game. And, you know, quite frankly, some may agree with me, some may not uh, agree with me. But I really think as of right now today, I think these are the two best teams in the NFC. You know, some people may say uh, the Green Bay Packers, uh, which, you know, you're entitled to your opinion. Others may say, you know, the New Orleans Saints uh, should be somewhere up there. But I just like how, how, how versatile these two teams are. I like how they're built. Uh, offensively and defensively, coaching staff, everything. And I think these are the two uh, uh, best teams in the NFC. And I think this could be a, a precursor, you know, to the uh, uh, NFC championship. But uh, specifically speaking of this game, one thing I noticed was uh, uh, it seemed like the 49ers offensive line struggled. You know, it seems like, you know, when you throw a couple of good pass rushes at them, you know, uh, uh, Jaron Reed and uh, Ziggy Ansah and Jadavion Clowney, uh, it seems like they struggled a little bit. And then on top of that, uh, I, I, I saw Jimmy Garoppolo panic, you know, and, and, and it seems as well when you get pressure on him and when you get in his face and, and, and when you kind of knock him off his mark, he starts panicking a little bit. And, and I mean, yeah, people are going to say, well, that's natural for all quarterbacks. You know, when you start hitting a quarterback and sacking him and putting pressure on him, he's going to get a little antsy. He's going to get a little uh, 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 hyper get a little more off of his mark which yeah that's true but uh, I saw it a little bit more from Garoppolo to the point where even when he had time in the pocket when he had a clean pocket he was panicking and, and, and he was anticipating the pressure coming so that could be something that you know that we all can can look out for in the future when they go against some of these other teams because I think they play Green Bay coming up pretty soon if it's not this week it's next week and they have two of arguably the best pass rushers in the entire league with the Smith brothers, Zadarius Smith and Preston Smith. So you know they're going to put pressure on them. And I want to see how that offensive line holds up. And I want to see how uh, Garoppolo performs uh, when he has more pressure on him. Uh, uh, you know, but overall, I, I thought the 49ers played well, even in a losing effort. You know, and, and, and despite losing, I mean, you could definitely say that they should have won that game. You know, uh, when you look at the fact that George Kittle, who is 
you know, their best offensive player and, you know, one of the best tight ends in football, he was out injured. Emmanuel Sanders, who's their best receiver, he was out injured. Quan Alexander, uh, a Pro Bowl linebacker, he was out injured. And most importantly, Robbie Gold was out injured, you know, and, and if he would have played, I'm pretty sure they would have made that kick in overtime to win the game. So uh, I thought the 49ers put up the, a pretty dang good fight uh, despite missing a lot of key players. Um, on the flip side, I thought Seattle played well. Um, Russell Wilson, I think as the weeks continue to pass, I think he's further strengthening his case and he's further separating himself from the pack as the leading contender for uh, a league MVP. You know, now Lamar Jackson is right on his heels because that dude is unbelievable. You know, he is absolutely unbelievable. But I think right now, if the season were to end today and there's still a lot of football left to be played, but right now my vote will go to, uh, to Russell Wilson, but overall, uh, just a great game, a great game, an exciting game, a fast physical game. And I knew it would be like that because it was a division rivalry. But, uh, yeah, I was impressed with both teams. Um, if they play again, uh, I'd still probably give the edge to the 49ers, assuming they have all their guys back healthy. But, man, uh, you know, I like the Seattle team. And I think the addition of Josh Gordon, although he didn't have a huge game yesterday, I think that's going to pay dividends because that's another big body receiver who can run. And now all of a sudden you have Tyler Lockett, you have um, DK Metcalf, you have Josh Gordon. You know, they have some weapons on that team. And then you have the magician and Russell Wilson, who's back there just, you know, orchestrating everything. Uh, yeah, they're going to be a tough team to beat. But, you know, overall, that was my game of the week uh, between the two best teams in the NFC, uh, in my opinion. Okay, next we'll uh, discuss a little basketball. And uh, what I love about the NBA is that there's 82 games in the regular season. So you're guaranteed to get a good game pretty much every single night, you know, as opposed to the NFL. Um, you know, from Sunday, you have to wait to Thursday. And from Thursday, you got to wait again to Sunday. But in the NBA, every single night, you're pretty much guaranteed to to get a good game. So when you get home from work, you can, you know, kick your feet up and, you know, go down in that man cave and, and, and turn on your 80-inch and watch some good basketball. But that's what I love about the NBA. Uh, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to just talk about the Eastern and the Western Conference standings as of today, uh, November 11th. And these things change. You know, I guarantee by next week there will be some teams that may not be in the playoff uh, hunt right now that may uh, vault themselves into being one of the top eight seeds. And there may be teams that are currently one of the top eight seeds that may drop out. Mind you, you know, we there, there we're only 10 or 11 games in the regular season. So, uh, there's a lot of teams that, that probably won't make the playoffs that's in the playoffs if they were to start today. But uh, as of right now in the Eastern Conference, you got the Boston Celtics as the uh, uh, number one seed. They're 9-1. And, one. and the, the, the beautiful thing about Boston is the fact that they started 0-1. However, they've reeled off nine consecutive games, and they're playing really, really good basketball right now. Uh, Kimball Walker he fits like a glove with that team, you know, with Jason Tatum, with Marcus Smart, with Jalen Brown, who uh, just got paid, you know, secure the bag, young fella, secure the bag, uh, Enos Cantor, um, you know, the young cats uh, on that team, Carson Edwards. Uh, I, I really, really, you know, like the Boston Celtics. They're a good team. Now, I don't think that they'll uh, go to the NBA Finals, but, you know, they're playing really good basketball right now. And, and and Brad Stevens, I know he took a little heat last year because the Celtics underachieved, you know, with all the talent that they have. But in my mind, he's still one of the best three or four coaches in all of basketball. Uh, number two, you have the Miami Heat at 7-3. and three. And, uh, you know, this is another surprise for me. 
You know what I mean? Because uh, although they got Jimmy Butler, um, when you look at their roster, you know, yeah, I, I predicted them to be a playoff team, but I didn't think that they'd be as good as they are now. Now, mind you, it's still early, but they're playing good basketball right now. And, and I think the biggest surprise for their team has been the emergence of Tyler Hero, you know, the rookie from Kentucky. He's been great. He's been absolutely great. And he reminds me uh, a little bit of Devin Booker, because if you think back to when Devin Booker was at Kentucky, he was the sixth man. You know, he came off the bench uh, uh, and he was like the spark plug off the bench. And now in the NBA, you know, you could argue he's better than any of the guys in his class that that he got drafted with. And and Tyler Hero reminds me of him a little bit. Tyler Hero didn't come off the bench for Kentucky, but he reminds me of him in the sense that, you know, he wasn't a uh, 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 highly rated or highly regarded coming into the draft. He was a lottery pick. I think he was picked 14th overall. But uh, there were a lot of other rookies and a lot of other players that were, were rated higher than him, and he's been extremely impressive. So, uh, yeah, Miami Heat, they're doing really well right now at 7-3. and three. Uh, Number three, you had the Milwaukee Bucks at 7-3, and three, in which, um, you know, I think we all kind of expected them to be one of the top teams, you know, not only in the East, but in the entire uh, 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 NBA, you know, Greek Freak, uh, Chris Middleton. Um, yeah, they're, they're a great team. They really are. Now, I do think the loss of Malcolm Brogdon is going to hurt them in the long run because Brogdon was a, a big-time piece to their team, great defender, a guy that could come off the bench and score. Uh, you know, But ultimately, uh, I, I, I like their team, and I think they'll be right in the thick of things uh, come playoff team time. Uh, number four, Toronto Raptors at 7-3, and three, and I think that they've done a great job despite losing Kawhi Leonard. You know what I mean? You, you would think that after losing Kawhi, you know, they'll struggle, but they've been playing really well thus far. Um, Pascal Siakam, he's emerged as a legit all-star uh, a caliber player. Uh, Fred Van Fleet is playing really well. You still have Kyle Lowry. You still have Marcus Gasol, although he's, you know, been injured. Um, I, I think they're a good team. I think they're a good team, and, and, and they're a well-coached team. They play physical brand of basketball. They're 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 um just a just a, a tough gritty group of guys, and I definitely feel that they'll make the playoffs. And I think they'll be a tough out for for anybody uh, that they go against. Uh, number five is the Philadelphia 76ers at seven and four, and quite frankly, I think the Sixers are probably the most talented team in the Eastern Conference. You know, when you look at their starting lineup, which consists of Ben Simmons, uh, Josh uh, Harris. Um, or Richardson, excuse me, Josh Richardson, uh, Tobias Harris. I'm getting the two of those guys mixed up. Josh Richardson, Tobias Harris, Ben Simmons, Al Horford, and Joel Embiid. Um, they're absolutely loaded. You know, they really have no weaknesses. And, and quite frankly, I think that's probably the best uh, defensive starting five in the league because all five of those guys are really, really, really good defenders. They can switch. Um, you know, they're athletic. Uh, they're going to be a tough team to beat. You know, and I think that they're probably the most talented team uh, in the Eastern Conference when it's said and done. And that's my pick. It's early, only November 11th, but that is my pick right now to represent the Eastern Conference in the NBA Finals, the Philadelphia 76ers. Uh, number six, you have the Indiana Pacers at 7-4. and four. They've won four consecutive games. And look, I think the Pacers could potentially be the sleeper team in the East. You know, the team that nobody's talking about that could really make a move. Um, obviously, Victor Oladipo uh, has been out all season. Miles Turner, he's been dealing with the ankle sprain, and he's missed the last I think, six or seven games. But I think when they get 100% healthy, Victor Oladipo, Malcolm Brogdon, T.J. Warren, uh, uh, Sabonis, Miles Turner, 
they're going to be a very, very, very good team. And that's my sleeper team. Like, that is my sleeper team. I'm telling you guys this right now on November 11th. The Indiana Pacers are my sleeper team to, to, to make some noise in the Eastern Conference. I'm not picking them to go to the finals, but I think that once they get healthy, they're going to be a tough, tough, tough team uh, uh, to beat. Uh, number seven, the Cleveland Cavaliers at four and six. And number eight, the Atlanta Hawks at four and six. Uh, like I said, it's early. And, you know, despite it being early, there's going to be a couple of teams that's probably hovering, you know, a few games below 500 in the East that'll make the playoffs. Um, unlike the West, where you have to be multiple games above 500 to make the playoffs, you're going to have some teams that really aren't that great in the East that'll squeak in. Uh, obviously, the fact that Cleveland and Atlanta are four and six and they're still slotted as the seventh and eighth best teams in the East, you know, that that's kind of sad because the East is, is rather weak. Um, at the bottom but uh, yeah that's pretty much the Eastern Conference some things that stand out to me I like the way Trey Young is playing uh, he's playing extremely well um, you know I also uh, uh, you know like the way that uh, like I said the Celtics are playing you know those are the two main things that are standing out to me the way the Celtics have been playing nine in a row and the way Trey Young has been playing you know he's on his way to his first uh, all-star game a couple of things that are disappointing though with the Eastern Conference is the New York Knicks I mean, you're two and nine. You're not playing good basketball at all. Um, I think they have talent. You know, added Bobby Portis, added you know uh, uh, Marcus Morris. You draft R.J. Barrett, who's been solid. They have a little bit of talent. I, I just don't know what it is about them, but they've been extremely, extremely, extremely uh, 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 disappointing thus far. But you know, that's the Eastern Conference. You know, uh, that is your your Eastern Conference update. Um, now on to the Western Conference. So for the uh, Western Conference, uh, you have the Lakers as the number one seed right now at eight and two. And, um, you know, from the very beginning, the Lakers were my pick to, uh, you know, go to and win the NBA championship just off the strength of the best player in the world, uh, LeBron James. Yeah, I said it. Yeah, he is better than Kawhi Leonard. I know Kawhi Leonard is the flavor of the month. He's the new kid on the block that everybody is flocking to. But the king still reigns supreme. LeBron James is still the best player in the world. So off the strength of LeBron James and Anthony Davis, who is arguably the best big man in basketball, I picked them to win the championship. But, yeah, they've been playing extremely well right now, uh, especially on the defensive end. I think LeBron uh, is on a mission to show everybody that he still is indeed the best player in the world. And, uh, yeah, they're 8-2 and two right now, and they're, they're playing really, really well. Kyle Kuzma just came back, by the way, and uh, started off a little bit slow. But I think um, – you know, the more games he gets under his belt, the more comfortable he gets, um, you know, the, uh, the the better not only will he be, but the, the, the better the team will be. So, yeah, you have the Lakers as the number one seed. You have the Houston Rockets as the number two seed. James Harden, obviously, he <laughs> – you know what he's going to do. He's going to shoot a lot of shots, and he's going to score a lot of points. And, um, you know, the Lakers are going to – or the, the Rockets, excuse me, they're going to be one of the top three seeds, top four seeds uh, uh, in the Western Conference. Um, I thought Westbrook has played, you know, pretty well thus far, had a couple triple-doubles, and he brings a different dynamic to the team than Chris Paul, you know, with his athleticism, with his explosiveness, his ability to run up and down the court. Uh, I'm not sure about the fit. You know, I'm, I'm kind of still iffy on the fit because these are two extremely ball-dominant players, and I think we've seen it in glimpses this season of, oh, Russell Westbrook is short turn. Oh, James Harden short turn. You know, going down the court playing isolation basketball, which is one of the reasons why the Thunder 
with Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook couldn't win a championship. Uh, but overall, I, I do like the Rockets team, and I do think that they'll be a tough out. However, I'm not quite sure of the, the, the chemistry and the mix of um, James Harden and Russell Westbrook. I think they'll get in and they'll win a round maybe just off of their talent and ability, and, and, and D'Antoni is a good coach as well. But uh, I still have question marks about the Rockets. Um, number three, the Utah Jazz, very, very good team. You know, and I think that they probably had the best offseason from top to bottom. You know, when you look at them bringing in, you know, Boyan Bogdanovich from the Pacers, uh, Jeff Green, um, you know, from the Wizards, uh, uh, you know, trading for Mike Conley from the Grizzlies. They had a really, really good offseason, and, and, and they're deep. Uh, they play defense. Quinn Snyder is, in my opinion, one of the more underrated coaches in the league. So I like the Jazz. You know, I, I really, really like the Jazz. Um, number four, the Denver Nuggets. You know, and, 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 and if I wasn't a Washington Wizards fan, quite frankly, I would probably be a Denver Nuggets fan. You know, I like Jokic. I like Paul Millsap. Uh, Jamal Murray and Gary Harris, good backcourt. Will the Thrill Barton, he's a good player. Um, you know, they, they have a really, really good team. I, I like that team. Um, I'm still waiting to see a little bit more from Michael Porter Jr., who I feel can be a, an elite player in this league if he uh, can stay healthy. But um, I like their depth. I like their you know length and athleticism. I like their coaching. Um, I still think they need one additional piece to really, really be a championship contending team, but they're young and uh, they're a really, really good team. Uh, number five is the Clippers. And quite frankly, even though they're the fifth seed, I think that right along with the Lakers, you know, those are the two best teams in the league, the Clippers and the Lakers. Obviously, Paul George, he makes his season debut tomorrow, November 12th. So uh, that should be very interesting. And, you know, I think once he gets back in his rhythm and his groove, you know, we'll see uh, 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 the real version of the Clippers. But, um, yeah, they're loaded from top to bottom. I mean, this is a team that won, what, 40 eight games or 45 games, something like that last year without Kawhi and without Paul George. And they push a healthy Warriors team to six games. So now you add, you know, two of arguably the best perimeter defenders in the league and Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. Kawhi Leonard, who a lot of people, you know, they're, they're, they're jumping on his back saying he is the best player in the league now, which I disagree with. But you add two players of that caliber to a team that was already loaded with Pat Beverly and Montrezl Harrell and Lou Williams, Landry Shamit. You know, so on and so forth. And obviously, Doc Rivers, who's a great coach, uh, they're going to be tough. They're going to be tough. I still give the Lakers a slight edge for the simple fact that I'm rolling with LeBron, but uh, it wouldn't surprise me if the Clippers beat them uh, in, in the playoffs. Number six, the Minnesota Timberwolves. Um, they they have talent, you know, and, and I don't think that's ever been an issue, you know, with the Clippers or with the, uh, the, the Timberwolves. Um, I, I think it's just been more so of, of you know, just – underachieving you know Carl Anthony Towns one of the better young bigs in, in basketball Andrew Wiggins I think he's underachieved I feel he has talent but you know he hasn't really been as as good as I thought he would be coming uh into the NBA um Jeff Teague uh, Robert Covington they have talent but um I think they just have underachieved but you know they they've they, they've started off well uh, at seven and four and uh interesting to see how how you know they progress Number seven, you have the Dallas Mavericks. And this was my sleeper team coming into the season. You know, they have two unicorns, Luka Doncic and Kristaps uh, Porzingis. And quite frankly, Luka Doncic is my favorite young player in the league. You know, he is my favorite young player in the league. This kid is unbelievable. And he reminds me of a less 
athletic version of LeBron. You know, LeBron, if you took away some of his athleticism, because he can handle the ball, he can shoot it, he's a fantastic passer, he's great at getting his teammates involved and making others better. Uh, he's a cold-blooded killer, man. And I really, really like this kid. He has the swag. He'll talk trash. You know what I mean? I like this kid, man. I think he's going to be a, a potential MVP in this league one day. Um, and then I like some of the pieces that they have around them. You know, Tim Hardaway Jr., Jalen Brunson, Dwight Powell. Uh, they have a, a J.J. Barea. They, they have a talented roster. Now, I still think they're a couple of pieces away. But um, I think they have enough to get into the playoffs this year in the Western Conference. Uh, and you have the Phoenix Suns as the uh, the number eight seed. And, and I think they've probably been the biggest surprise this season, you know, because last year they were absolutely horrible, absolutely horrible. But this year they've played well. And I think the addition of Aaron Baines, you know, from Boston ha has paid huge dividends. He's been, he's been great. And he's on my fantasy basketball team. So shout out to Aaron Baines for getting me some, some clutch points, but yeah, he's been great. Um, Kelly Oubre from my wizards. He's been playing well. Um, also big shout out to Devin Booker, who's a Mississippi kid. Uh, one of the better young shooting guards in this league. He's played extremely well as usual, but I like this team. And I think Ricky Rubio uh, uh, coming on as a vet presence, vet point guard, um, experienced guy, he's helped them out tremendously uh, as well. So, um, you know, that's your Western Conference rankings. Uh, some of my surprises and disappointments, I'll go with the disappointments first. Number one, my biggest disappointment in the entire NBA, not just in the Western Conference, but the entire NBA, and I think you guys can hear it in my voice, is the Golden State Warriors, man. I mean, look, I get uh, Clay Thompson out for the season, torn ACL. Kevin Durant leaves, goes to the Brooklyn Nets, free agency. But you still have Steph Curry, former two-time MVP. You still have D'Angelo Russell, all-star. You still have Draymond Green, all-star. You would think, at least me personally, you know, I thought that that was still enough to get them into the playoffs. Now, I didn't project or, or, or predict them to be a top three seed. I said, you know, hey, Warriors probably sneak in as a seven or eight seed. But the fact that they were getting absolutely steamrolled, skull drugged, mollywopped, punished at the beginning of the season with a healthy Steph Curry and D'Angelo Russell and Draymond Green. And then Steph Curry breaks his hand. <laughs> and, and, and it's just like things just just continuously went downhill. But what really made it disappointing for me was that now Curry is talking about being out for the whole season. And I'm confused because Gordon Hayward for the Boston Celtics just broke his hand. And they said he'd be back in six weeks. Yet Steph Curry breaks his hand and he's sitting out the entire season. And to me, and this is just my personal opinion, I feel as if Steph Curry knows that even if he's 100% healthy and even if he's playing up to his potential, this Warriors team has no chance and they will not be a playoff team. Because when he was healthy early in the season, they were getting smacked around. So I think he feels as if if he's playing and even if he's putting up great numbers and playing at a high level and even if he makes the all-star team or an all-NBA team, this Warriors team is not going to the playoffs. And that's going to damage his name a little bit because then people are going to say, oh, yeah, you were winning with Kevin Durant. You were winning with Klay Thompson, but now you take those guys away and you're the lone survivor on that team and you can't even get into the playoffs. So I think Steph Curry knows what he's doing. He's like, you know what? Uh, you know, there's no point in me coming back. We're not going to make the playoffs. I don't want to damage my, my name. I don't want to damage my legacy. I don't want people to be saying I'm not this and I'm not that. Let me just go ahead and sit out. And on top of that, this will give us a great opportunity to tank, get a top three pick, 
We can add Anthony Edwards from Georgia. We can add Cole Anthony from North Carolina. We can add James Wiseman from Memphis. And we can add one of those young cats to our team next year when I come back healthy, when Clay comes back healthy, when we have Draymond back, you know, D'Angelo Russell back. And, and, and so I, I think he knows what he's doing. But that's probably my biggest dis disappointment. I'm, I'm really disappointed in, in that. And I'm not even a Warriors fan. I actually was rooting against the Warriors. But to see them turn from being – one of the greatest teams we've ever seen, so now one of the worst teams in the league in a matter of one year. It's unbelievable. My second disappointment is the uh, New Orleans Pelicans. You know, they go out, they um, revamp their front office, they they, they bring in uh, uh, J.J. Redick, they bring in Derek Favors. Obviously, they draft Zion Williamson, in which we all know he's out right now, but they draft Jackson Hayes, they draft uh, Alexander Walker from uh, Virginia Tech, you know, they trade Anthony Davis for Brandon Ingram and Josh Hart and Lonzo Ball. So even without Zion, even with him being injured, you would think that Drew Holiday, Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, J.J. Redick, Derek Favors, you know, you would think those plus two first-round picks outside of Zion, you would think that would be enough to, to, to make them more competitive, but they're 2-8 and eight right now. They're 2-8 and eight right now, so I, I'm disappointed in that team. Now, maybe... You know, once they get Zion back and he gets back comfortable and, and, and gets back in shape and, and, and finds his rhythm and finds his groove, you know, they'll be a better team. But I'm disappointed. I am very, very disappointed in the Pelicans. And I have a soft place in my heart for the Pelicans. You know, although I'm a Washington Wizards fan, I'm originally from Mississippi. You know, and the Pelicans is the closest team that we have to Mississippi. So I naturally keep an eye out on, out, out on them. And I have a lot of family members and friends that are Pelicans fans. So I naturally follow them a little bit more than I would any other team. And the fact that they've started off this bad, I'm disappointed in them. Uh, my positives, and I think I've already gone over this, but I love what the Lakers are doing, um, you know, and, 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 and the Dallas Mavericks. Like I said, that's my sleeper team. And I'm quoting that today. The Dallas Mavericks, they're my sleeper team in the Western Conference. They will make the playoffs, no doubt about it. And Luka Doncic will be not only – an all-star this year, but he will make one of the three all-NBA teams. So, uh, you know, that is my Western Conference update. Now we'll have a quick break before we go to the entree portion of the show. So stay tuned. Okay, for the entree portion of the show, um, I want to discuss a very popular, prominent topic, um, a topic that I'm pretty sure we've all thought about and we've all uh, discussed and, and we all have strong feelings toward but it's whether or not college athletes should be paid and this stems from the events that occurred last week uh, James Wiseman you know center from the University of Memphis and projected number one overall pick in the 2020 NBA draft and Chase Young defensive end from Ohio State and the projected number one pick in the 2020 NFL draft both uh, individuals were deemed ineligible due to accepting monetary benefits from their school, a booster, uh, uh, an alumni. And so that poses the question, and, and that's what I want to ask you guys and, and really discuss today, whether or not college athletes should be paid. And, you know, me personally, being a former college athlete playing football at Alcorn State University, I know what it takes to be a college athlete. I know the wear and tear and, and time and effort and blood and sweat and tears that it takes to be a college athlete. So, you know, maybe I am a little biased, 
But me personally, I do feel college athletes should be paid because first and foremost, these young men bring so much money to these universities. When you look at a Zion Williamson, when you look at a Tim Tebow, a Reggie Bush, a Kyler Murray, a Baker Mayfield, a Johnny Menzel, these kids are bringing in hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars to these universities. When you look at ticket sales, when you look at advertisements, when you look at apparel, like they're bringing in a ton of money and it's just sad that they never can benefit off of their abilities, off of their talent, off of their name, off of their face for the university. You know what I mean? And, and, and I don't think it's right. I think these guys should be paid some type of stipend, some type of allowance, uh, not saying that they need to be paid millions of dollars because they'll be rewarded in the NFL or the NBA or, or professional baseball, soccer, you know, whatever sport they go pro in. But I, I don't think it's right that these young men, are bringing in so much money to this university and they don't see it. And, and, and I know there's some people out there that's going to say, oh, well, they get a full scholarship. So do you mean to tell me that you don't think Zion Williamson brought in four or five or six times more money to the university than his scholarship is worth? And, and quite frankly, I mean, he was only at Duke for one year. So his scholarship is really only good for one year. You don't think that he brought in way, way, way more money in the one year that he was at Duke than what his scholarship is worth. Matter of fact, if he would have stayed at Duke for four full years, he brought more money into that university in year one, the only year he was there, than he would have uh, 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 been worth his whole scholarship. That one year that he was at Duke, he brought in more money than what a four-year scholarship at Duke is worth. Point blank, period. And that's the same thing for all of these prominent athletes. They bring so much money to these universities and they never get to see it. And I don't think it's right. You know, not only that, but I remember playing for Alcorn State University. Whenever we would go out and play a team like Mississippi State or, or uh, 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 Old Miss or one of these big prominent SEC D1 teams, those universities would pay Alcorn a huge lump sum of money. I'm not sure the exact amount, but, you know, I heard different things like two or three or $400,000 to come play them in football. And so why don't the athletes get a portion of that? They're paying the university for us to go out there and play their football teams. So why aren't we getting a piece of it? So I, I've always been pro athletes, pro college kids, pro uh, 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 the, the student athletes being paid and being compensated. I'm not sure if it'll happen, but but that's how I personally feel. And on top of that, you know, uh, the average student, the average person doesn't know how much blood, sweat and tears and times it takes uh, into being a great athlete. You know, from 6 a.m. meetings to study hall to practice to weights, you know, then you have to juggle uh, going to class and trying to be an, an, a regular student and have a social life. It's tough. So I do feel that these college athletes should be paid. I want you guys to chip in too. You know, I want to know your opinion. I want to hear what you guys think about this. Um, but me, I'm pro athletes and, and I feel like they definitely should be paid. And to be honest, when it comes to, uh, you know, some of the best high school basketball players in the country, you know, going to play college ball, the reason why guys like RJ Hampton and, and Brandon Jennings from years past and Mitchell Robinson and some of these other guys don't go to college is for the simple fact that, they can go overseas and get paid a boatload of money for playing basketball and still be drafted in the lottery rather than going to college, 
not getting paid a penny and getting drafted in the lottery because Brandon Jennings went to China and played as a freshman. He would have been a freshman uh, in college, but instead he went overseas to China and, and, and he was played. He was paid pretty well, and he still ended up being a top ten pick in the NBA draft. So I think you're going to start seeing more and more high school kids rather than go to college. They're going to start going overseas and playing basketball for a year, putting a few dollars in their pocket, and still get drafted in the first round of the draft. Um, also, one more thing I want to note. I, I just felt it was kind of ironic how both James Wiseman, the projected number one pick in the NBA draft, and Chase Young, the projected number one pick in the NFL draft, they both were deemed ineligible on the same exact day. You know, it would have been weird if it would have happened in the same year, but the same exact day, a couple of hours apart, the, the projected number one pick in the NFL and NBA draft were deemed ineligible for accepting monetary benefits. I just thought that was kind of weird. But... You know, at the end of the day, I wish both uh, young men the best of luck. I feel like they're going to be uh, excellent players at the next level. Uh, but, you know, at the end of the day, I feel college athletes should be paid. Um, with that being said, now we can move into the dessert portion of the show. You know, and now this is where, you know, we start winding down. Um, this is where we start closing things out. Um, you guys have been stuffed up on the appetizers and, and the entree, and now you know it's time to close it out with the dessert. And before I get into what I'm going to discuss, please, 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 please give me feedback. Let me know what you think. If there's topics that you want to hear me discuss, please let me know. Um, whether you agree with me, disagree with me, uh, I'm perfectly fine with that. Like I said before, that's the beauty of sports. The beauty of sports is that we can agree to disagree. I can feel a certain way about a team, about a player, about a topic. You can feel the exact opposite way about a team, player, or a topic, and we can agree to disagree. That's the beauty of sports. But please, please, please um, um, give me some feedback. Let me know what you think, and uh, uh, that'll be greatly appreciated. But for the dessert portion of the show, I want to do something pretty cool. I want to go through and give you my predictions for week 11 of the NFL season and tell you who I think is going to win and we can keep track of my record you know and, and please you guys do the same exact thing and, and you can see if your record ends up being better than mine's or if my record which I'm pretty sure will be see if it uh, ends up being better than yours but uh, for this week's slate of games we have the Dallas Cowboys 5-4 and four versus the 3-5-1 and one Detroit Lions I'm going with the Dallas Cowboys especially since Matt Stafford's out hurt um, we have the Buffalo Bills versus the Miami Dolphins. I'll go with the Bills. We have the Broncos versus the Vikings. Uh, I'm going with Minnesota Vikings. We have the Falcons and Panthers. I'm going with the upset. I'm going with the Atlanta Falcons, especially after they came off that huge win against New Orleans. I'm going for the Falcons, or I'm going with the Falcons. Um, Jacksonville versus Indianapolis. I will go with the Colts. The Jets and Redskins, I'm going to give the slight edge to the Redskins. Saints and Buccaneers, I'll go with the Saints, especially losing to Atlanta last week. I think they'll rebound this week against the Buccaneers. The Texans and the Ravens, originally I was going to pick the Ravens, but I think they're due for a loss, so I'm going for the uh, Houston Texans. Cardinals and 49ers, I go for the 49ers. Bengals and Raiders, the Raiders, Cincinnati Bengals are the worst team in the league. Patriots and Eagles, I actually think – this is going to be a fantastic game. I think it's going to be very, very close, but I give the edge to the Patriots. The Bears and Rams, I'll give the edge to the Rams. And Kansas City and the Chargers, I'll give the edge to the Kansas City Chiefs. So those are my picks uh, for this week's slate of games. Like I said, do the same thing, and, and, and we can keep track of uh, uh, my record and, and compare it to your record and see who comes out on top. But those are my picks, and 
As usual, I'm going to give you guys my top three games of the week. And the three games that I pick, those are going to be the games that I discuss on my second episode during the appetizer portion of the show. But my three games of the week are number one, and this is not in any particular order. Uh, This is just the three games that I feel are going to be the three best games this week. Houston Texans, Baltimore Ravens. Like I said before, just to, 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 to reiterate my pick, I'm going with Houston, but that's one of my games. Um, New England Patriots, Philadelphia Eagles. That's my second game. I'm going with the Patriots in that one. And last but not least, the Kansas City Chiefs and the L.A. Chargers, and I'm going with the Chiefs. So those are my three games that I'll be discussing in depth uh, on my second episode which uh, I'm planning to drop on Monday. So please, please, please tune in. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, first episodes in the books. You know, I appreciate the love and support. I appreciate those of you who uh, uh, tapped in and, and, and listened and tuned in. Um, like I said, there's so much more to come. Um, I have guest uh, 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 co-hosts. I have interviews. I have a lot of things in store for you guys. So please continue to tune in. I promise you guys, you will not be disappointed. And uh It's your boy signing out.